There must have been a moment at the beginning where we could have said no, but somehow we missed it. We're actors. We're the opposite of people. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Megan Charlo, and I use she/her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he/him pronouns. Today we are discussing the film Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead which is a 1990 film adaptation of the 1966 play, which is itself a tragic comedy based on two minor characters from William Shakespeare's Hamlet. The play was written by Tom Stoppard, a Tony and Academy Award-winning writer best known for co-writing Brazil with Terry Gilliam and Charles McEwen, and co-writing the film Shakespeare in Love with Mark Norman. I just want to give a quote from a New York Times article of what Tom Stoppard had to say about the origins of the play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. My agent suggested there might be a funny play about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in Britain. My first version was pure farce, with some regrettable pastiche Shakespeare blank verse. King Lear was even in it. Then something alerted to me to the serious reverberations of the characters. The fact that they die without ever really understanding why they lived makes them somehow cosmic. In the finished version, their situation remains essentially humorous, two guys waiting for something to happen. But the play is now, I think, something more than a giggle. Okay. I want to see this version of this play with King Lear in blank verse. Yes, But I also feel really bad because, okay, this play is iconic. Like, it's well known if you're a Shakespeare fan, etc. But man, oh man, you sound so pretentious. (laughs) When you say it. He does incredible work that is well-loved, but I just, I don't know. It just seems real pretentious to me, that whole quote. And that's fine. You can be pretentious about your good work. I just... I don't know. I kind of wanted a funny man quote. Well, the film adaptation, which was written and directed also by Tom Stoppard, comes 25-some years after the play's debut. It is produced by TV production companies Brandenburg and WNET Channel 13 New York? Question mark. Literally, there is no information about the production of this movie. It is wild. It was released February 8th, 1993 in the United States. I would just like to note the film did win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is its most prestigious award. Another movie which won the Golden Lion is Joker in 2019. (laughs) So I don't know. Whatever. As for what it's based on, We don't need to talk about Hamlet because we've already talked about Hamlet before. If you don't know Hamlet, you can listen to our very first episode, Bernhardt Hamlet, where we give a bit of an introduction to the story of Hamlet. But Megan, what do we know about the characters Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? They're two people. Yes. Who went to school with Hamlet. Yes. And Hamlet talks about them nicely. Yes. Off stage. We'd never see Hamlet say anything nice about them on stage. Yes. And the queen knows that Hamlet likes them and is like, oh, we'll get Hamlet to say why he's so sad because he'll tell his friends and then the friends will tell us because we can just use friends like spies and then hamlet does a bad and kills a man and they're like okay rosencrantz and guildenstern you can leave now but you have to take hamlet and the secret letter and then they don't ask what the letter says and the letter says kill hamlet 
and then Hamlet does a trick and gets them killed instead. I have a question. Yeah. Why, when Hamlet leave with the pirates, do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern still go to England and deliver the letter? Because they are dumb, dumb boys. And they go, well, our goal was bring Hamlet and the letter. I mean, we don't have Hamlet anymore, but we still got to do what we can. All right. It's time for everyone's favorite. I say this every time. I say it's everyone's favorite segment. No one has said this to me. I live in a world of my own choosing. Megan hates this. I don't get why. Because you always do a long preamble about it. (laughs) That's it? That's part of it. Well, what if I just did it? Oh, we haven't tried that before. <laughs> All right, Marquez is acting corner. Uh, play Megan, play the the music really fast, like speed it up. First off, Gary Oldman, who plays Rosencrantz, an Oscar-winning and multi-talented actor who has had many wives and several abuse allegations, and has struggled with alcoholism, which sucks entirely. He played Sid Vicious in 1986's Sid and Nancy. He was Dracula in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's the guy who shouts everyone in Leon the Professional. He's the guy who shouts in Fifth Element. He's the evil spider guy from Lost in Space. He's Lord Ruber in Quest for Camelot. Sirius Black in the Harry Potter movies. James Gordon in Chris Nolan Batman films. Lord Chen in Kung Fu Panda 2. He's Mank and Mank. He's played a lot of people. This is like an actor who I looked up all of his roles and I said, wow, this is a Megan actor. I know him. He plays a lot of stuff I know. This is like a very Megan childhood actor. But it's really funny because watching this film, it took me about 10 minutes to recognize him because he's so young and I was looking for Gary old man. <laughs> yeah, not Gary Youngman. <laughs> Moving on, Tim Roth. R. Guildenstern is an Academy Award nominee known to us plebes, obviously, as Emil Blonsky slash The Abomination in everyone's favorite film, The Incredible Hulk. He was also a goon in a film I want to cover one day on the podcast, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. He's in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. He's a Tarantino guy. I'm literally trying to think of one thing he's done that Megan would know him from. Literally nothing. Anyway, moving on. Richard Dreyfus, he plays the player. He's another Academy Award winner. Famous roles include American Graffiti, Jaws, Mr. Holland's Opus, and again, trying to find one thing for Megan. Oh, he was Mr. Centipede in James and the Giant Peach. Does Megan know that? Yeah. Got it. Cool. Great. And also Ian Glenn, who is Hamlet and isn't in the movie very much. But I want to point out because he was Mormont in Game of Thrones. We were just doing Game of Thrones people recently. Yeah, I, I, that's why I wanted to throw him in because he's done other things. But like whenever there's a Game of Thrones person, I just want to throw him in. Anyway, that's Marquez's acting corner. He did it as fast as possible and he didn't gush about any actors. Well, now I feel like there's no life in it. Shut up, <laughs> Megan. Movie time. Roll the film. We start with some bluesy-ass credit music as we see some travelers on some Dover-ass cliffs. It's the boys. It's gotta be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, alive, coming to Elsinore to see their friend Hamlet. And we see one of the two, which we later find out is Rosencrantz, finds a coin on the ground, and he starts flipping it. Okay, it keeps landing on heads. I'm gonna say this right now. I've never seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead or read it before now. So make fun of me if you want. But I'm like, this is a trick coin. He found a trick coin and it's going to be like, oh, they're both heads, you dummy. That's why it keeps landing on heads. (sighs) Megan. Yeah. uh, This is going to be a film for you. Eventually, Guildenstern stops Roz from flipping the coin takes out his own coin, flips it, still heads. Then Roz keeps flipping that coin, still heads, drops a coin down a mountainside, camera shows, still heads. So I now recognize that it is not a trick coin. The world is just broken, and they mentioned that probability is broken, so this is like a supernatural force thing going on. And I'm like, ah... Something about something rotten in the state of Denmark, things weirdy, ghosts and such. And then they're like, time has stopped. 
dead. And I'm like, oh, this movie is going to do this a lot. They're going to just say the word dead a lot near Rosencrantz and Guildenstern until we're finally like, they're dead? I mean, I dig it, but I'm just going to count how many times. So that's one. Wait, we're going to count the dead mentions? The, the times that it's super obvious. Okay. And so they stop, you know, they set up their camp. They have no idea what they're doing here or where they're going. Okay, so are they already dead? And this is like... Megan, no. Well, because they're like, I don't remember anything. Why am I... Or is it just like they've walked into a weird supernatural veil and so they're feeling foggy right now? No, Megan. No. They're just dumb? No. What? No. What do you mean? You can't just say no. You need to tell me something. Well, no, it's obvious that they are minor characters of oh, a work. Oh, it's a <sighs> joke about how we as audiences don't know anything about them before the fact that they got a summons. Well, they're like, if you view them as fictional characters who all of a sudden are real. They don't exist until they get a summons to come to Elsinore. Yeah. Oh, but they have like a really funny moment about it when they're just like, what's the first thing you remember? And Rosencrantz is like, I don't know the first thing I remember. And then Gildenstern's like, no, after the things you forgot, like, come on. I've had conversations recently a lot about that, about how, like, I think my earliest memory is no longer really my earliest memory because all I remember is recollecting that memory and I don't remember the original memory itself. And it really fucks with my brain. Don't worry about it, Megan. Okay. You can't change it. No, but I just thought it was really timely for my personal existential crises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eat a burger. They eat a burger. It's just out of nowhere. They're in a camp and it's just like gigantic burger. And I went, man, I want a gigantic burger. Well, Megan, he made a Big Mac. Let's just be clear. It's got... Is there a reason that it's a Big Mac? Yes, Megan. Am I really bad at symbolism? No, Megan. It's funny because he makes a Big Mac and Big Macs haven't been invented yet. Oh, so I think Tom Stoppard is a bit pretentious. Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I don't know why. So this is not obviously part of the play that he makes a Big Mac. This is an addition to the movie that it's like, ha ha. Like Tom Stoppard <laughs> sitting there directing the film and it's just like, oh, the thing this movie needs, a Big Mac. As we come across it, I will mention the biggest question mark addition to this film, which is Rosencrantz discovering or inventing things and concepts in the background of the scene. Okay. But before that stuff happens and gets invented, apparently, in the future. So Guildenstern remembers his first memory, which is that they were sent for. And there's just like, oh, we were sent for clanging, knocking on the wooden door. Oh, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, shaking it. Anyway, they completely forget about that for like a couple more seconds. They remember it and then they forget it because yeah. things are murky because they're minor characters in a story that's not there. So they don't need, they only need to know the information. When it matters. When it matters. <laughs> but then they start talking about how fingernails and beards grow after death. But you're not dead. And like, ah. Gildenstern's not only after death, like before and during and after death. And I'm like, oh, okay, death mention number two. Okay. And then it's funny because they're like, toenails, on the other hand, never grow at all. Toenails on the other foot never grow at all. But like they do. Toenails grow all the time. It's a lie. It's a funny joke, but it's a lie. Oh, wait. Gildenstern. You're pointing at me. We were sent for. A messenger came and sent for us. Wait, Megan, I'm sorry. Are you implying that I'm Guildenstern? Yeah. Wait, you're Rosencrantz. Wait, no, no, I'm Guildenstern. Well, well Megan, and you're Rosencrantz. So the question is, is this a bit or... Well, really, I was just trying to think of a clever way to mention that Rosencrantz suddenly remembers that they were woken up by a messenger who said they were sent for. Ah, but then we hear a big cart approaching like pots and pans and wheels which megan assumes is the players yeah i was like i'm guessing this is the players because it's not like it's gonna be someone selling pots and pans they are players they are and they're like we're gonna set up 
And I want to point out that I really enjoy the use of the sounds of an orchestra warming up to show the players warming up because it immediately puts the audience in a headspace that a performance is about to happen, even though there's no orchestra that's playing. So it's like super non-diegetic, but it just primes you. And I like it. The main player, the player king, the player Richard Dreyfus, Richard Playfus. I just want to point out that he tells Roz and Gil that the players could give him a tumble if so desired. They make a lot of like sex jokes yeah. and very overt sexual offers. And then Rosencrantz messes up Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's names, which is funny because everyone in Hamlet does that because they're inconsequential and the joke is they're the same. It's just it's two guys. They're interchangeable. Yeah. The scene is also really fast and like the players are saying a lot of things really fast and like showing what they can do in terms of juggling and acting and dying and stuff like that. It's really, really fast and Roz and Gil are just kind of not into it. And the players are like, so do you want to take part in an orgy? Basically is what they just say. And Guildenstern is like... No, no horny gross. And I'm like, I agree. But like to each zone. But I I just, you know, Guildenstern is very much like me right now. I I thought you were Rosencrantz. No, I'm Guildenstern. Wait, no, I'm Rosencrantz. Anyway, the players are forced to partake in body acts because, as they say, that's what the audience wants. And they do on stage, which is supposed to happen off. Do you see the meta-theatrical nature of this work yet, Megan? What, Tom Stoppard? I'm only a peasant. I can't understand your high lofty mind. See, I know you, you, you say that you think that Tom Stoppard is pretentious. I at least appreciate that he's not holding your hand. No, I do appreciate that. I like that he made a pretentious work. And is pretentious about it and didn't dumb it down. Yeah, I don't think he's looking down at you if you don't understand it. He's just like, this is my galaxy brain decision and I'm making this galaxy brain shit. And if you don't get it, then uh, it's not for you, I guess. And I'm like, okay, respect. I like it. I just... It's a lot in your brain, Megan. It's a lot in my brain. And like, I like to think that I'm a smart person. But then when people say pretentious things in quotes about the creation of their movies i'm instantly worried that i am missing things in the film and that like i'm not actually smart i can assure you megan you were missing things in this film and i was missing things from this film and that's totally cool gildenstern wants to get one up on these players and since he knows that the coin always lands on heads, he makes a bet with the player. But the player king's like, all right, heads. There goes that idea. Uh, yeah. Except <gasps> the coin turns out to be tails. And then the players disappear like ghosts. All right. We have a quick transition. We're no longer in a player's cart on the edge of the woods at night. We are now in the palace during the day. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are covered by curtains. Kind of makes them look like ghosts. I'm counting it as a death mention. Okay. Because they look like kids' ghosts wearing bedsheets. And as they're trying to get out of their bedsheets... We see the moment that is described by Ophelia in Hamlet, where Hamlet goes up to her, his doublet undone, no hat upon his head, coming to her and freaking her out. And she uh, leaves and he chases her. I did not recognize it as that moment. But yes, now that you say that, it was that moment. I was just like, they're acting strange. Well, because in that scene, Hamlet leaves. He doesn't chase her. The fact that Hamlet leaves while staring at her is so ingrained in that scene to me. Yeah. That I was like, that can't be that scene. I'm a purist, apparently. (laughs) I only remember that Hamlet apparently left a room while staring at her and no one else and probably bumped into the doorframe. Could you imagine that, Megan? Just Hamlet just looking at things and being like, 
Where are things behind? Oh, well, you play yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, not to be that person, but when I played that scene, I had to walk upstairs backwards, not looking at the stairs to leave. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah, Megan was Hamlet. Get it out of your system. And all the nobles show up and they're like, Hey, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, we want you to spy on Hamlet. Figure out why Hamlet's upset. I mean, they don't say spy because then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern might be like, that sounds mean. But instead they say, we want you to watch him, find out what's wrong. And Rosencrantz is like, I want to go home. And Guildenstern says, don't let them confuse you. What I want to mention is when they speak in this scene, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern just say their lines from Hamlet and the whole, I want to go home, don't let them confuse you happens after their lines are done for the scene. Yeah. So like they're kind of just playing along, playing the parts that were written for them when they need to say them. And then when they don't, they are very confused about what's going yeah, on. Yeah, they're confused and they're very different from the like, ah, yes, of course, ma'am, we will do this. We will see to Hamlet, blah, blah, blah. Then we find out that it's all heading to a dead stop. Man, do you even know who says this at what point? No, but it is said in this scene, that's all that matters. I guess. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern do mention that they remember a world that used to be easier before all this, which they don't really mention what all of this is, like this scene, anything, maybe this play, this movie. It's just a very strange line to me that they say everything used to be simpler before all this. They go down a path, a hallway, and then they end up right back where they started, and Apollonius is telling Claudius about the reason for Hamlet's lunacy. And I find this cool because, one, they just can't seem to escape the plot of Hamlet because they aren't supposed to have their own plot, so they just keep going back to this. And two, making it so they don't just stumble upon this scene in a different location is very reminiscent of you know, in a play where you use the exact same space for different scenes, even if they maybe are supposed to be different locations. It's still the same playing space. Yeah, but it's a movie. Yeah, I know, but this was originally a play. So I think maybe they're trying to get the play feeling out of the movie. But why wouldn't they do that more then? Uh, Because they hate you. Yeah, okay. This is obviously strange. I would find this strange. But Guildenstern's like, just relax. And then both of them freak out and they try to run away. And they're like, okay, we got to calm down and talk to Hamlet. Because that's the only thing that matters for our characters. They need to prepare themselves for talking to Hamlet. That's basically all this next scene is. And they do like a thing where Rosencrantz asks Guildenstern, what are you playing at? And Guildenstern says, words, words, they're all you have to go on. And it's very similar to like, what do you read? Words, words, words from Hamlet. And this Hamlet and Polonius. Also, their task is to speak with Hamlet. And so the only thing they can do is talk to him. Yeah. They can't do anything else. They don't have any other course of action. And Rosencrantz finds a chest of juggling stuff. And I go, it's Yorick's chest. What? Why? Because Yorick was a juggler. Megan, they're in a gym. The gym would have gym stuff. Why would there be juggling shit in a gym, Marquez? That doesn't actually make sense. Yes, it does if you want to do, like, gymnastics. Okay, but it's Yorick's stuff because Yorick wait, is wait, the juggler. Wait, wait, wait. We do not know it's Yorick's stuff. Tom Stoppard would say it's Yorick's. If you ask Tom Stoppard, was that Yorick's juggling stuff? I'm sure Tom Stoppard would be like, oh, you've read Hamlet? I think you're having a weird view of what Tom Stoppard is like. I've never met the man or seen him in an interview. But I think it's Yorick's stuff because that makes me happy because I like Yorick. Megan, it could be Yorick's stuff yeah, if you it, it think is. it is. It but is. no, it's not. It doesn't. And then <laughs> Rosencrantz is juggling and he's like, look at this. And then he drops it all. <laughs> and this is just the thing that happens a lot where every time that Rosencrantz tries to show Guildenstern something, he fucks it up. And I find it very charming. Yeah, for example, in this same exact scene, he takes a metal ball and a feather and he says, you'd think that one of these would fall faster than the other. And he drops them both and obviously the metal ball falls faster. And he goes, you'd be right. <laughs> and then Guildenstern asks Rosencrantz do you want to play questions 
which Megan always says to me, no, I don't want to play a guessing game. Okay, but it's really, they are doing the Tom Stoppard pretentious thing that I like. They're doing the whole point of the play again, though, where Rosencrantz is like, do you fancy a game? And Guildenstern says, we're spectators. And I'm like, yeah. Megan, I don't, don't I, do anything. I don't get the rules of this game. They don't explain the rules of this what game. What, questions? Yeah. You gotta ask a question. You can't repeat, though. Uh, no conjecture. Yeah, but what does rhetoric mean? No rhetoric. What does that mean? What do you think it means? I don't know. You're the no one who... statement. Had... <laughs> I'm gonna fucking kill you. So there... Well... Wait, wait. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let this go. Megan Charlotte, quote, I hate this pretentious shit. <laughs> Megan Charlotte, quote, I like the questions bit, which is inarguably the most pretentious shit in the movie. So I'm fine with the movie being pretentious. I just don't like Tom Stoppard sounding pretentious. Oh, okay. Glad we cleared that <laughs> up. I like this bit too. I just don't get it. So audience, this is where you'll learn that Megan's likes and dislikes make literally no sense at all. And they're just completely arbitrary. Anyway, during this scene, Gildenstern calls Rosencrantz Rosencrantz offhandedly. And that means that Rosencrantz is like, wait, I answered to that. I answered to Rosencrantz. That means I am Rosencrantz. And then they do a bit where Rosencrantz tries to call to Guildenstern, but Guildenstern's like, no, you got to catch me unawares. And he, Rosencrantz just can't do it. And Guildenstern gives up. But I got to bring up as well in this scene, when they're playing the questions game, Guildenstern says, are you deaf to one of the questions? Oh and Rosencrantz says, am I dead? Marking one more dead note. So they move past that room because Guildenstern's done with Rosencrantz's shit. And he ends up in like a vent area. And through grates, he sees Polonius talking about Ophelia and the letter that Ophelia got from Hamlet. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Rosencrow. Interrupting. Moo! Moo! There's just a bit where Rosencrantz does like farm animal sounds for some reason. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> no idea either. And we continue to the Polonius is a fishmonger scene and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are hiding behind a curtain and they're like, wow, Hamlet is super messed up. Let's play question and try to answer it to glean why, but like not with Hamlet because we want to just figure it out on our own before we confront Hamlet. Yeah. And the way that they bring it up, Guildenstern has this plan and Rosencrantz doesn't understand that he wants to role play why Hamlet is like this by being Hamlet. He thinks that he's Guildenstern and they're just trying to figure out why Hamlet's this way and not that Guildenstern's pretending to be him. It's all very confusing. And I honestly totally get Rosencrantz's confusion. There's a moment where they start playing like real questions. Or Rosencrantz thinks they are, so no statements and stuff. And then Guildenstern gets mad and says, not now. And it echoes throughout, like, the whole castle. Marquez, do you know why they did that? It's a very poignant moment for some reason, and I don't know why. Probably because it's a moment of clarity, or at least trying to clear the muck of this conversation. I don't know, Megan. I don't know. It's just an interesting choice. It's artsy. And it probably means something to Tom Stoppard, but not quite anything to me. Mmm. Mmm. Meanwhile, in the next scene, Rosencrantz gets hit on the head with an apple like Isaac Newton discovering gravity, but then just rubs it and cleans it off of Guildenstern's doublet and asks him if he wants a bite because he's dumb. He doesn't get that gravity is there. But what he does get is that Guildenstern wanted to roleplay as Hamlet so that they could try to figure out what's wrong. And so then they try to talk about it and figure it out. And then they do the echo thing again with the word delve because they want to delve deeper. And I go, ah. Mm -hmm. You don't know. I do think that Rosencrantz finally getting it is funny because even though we described it like two seconds ago, it's been like two minutes in the film. 
So it comes out of seemingly nowhere that Rosencrantz is like, oh, you wanted to role play. Got it. <laughs> it's just like me with auditory processing issues. Huh? When you're just like, I don't know what you said. Sorry. And then like five minutes later, you answer the question and the person's like, was that the question I asked you five minutes ago? And you're like, yeah, I finally got it. So in their role play scenario, they basically sum up the beginning plot of Hamlet for the audience in case you didn't know about Senior Hamlet dying, Gertrude marries Claudius, despite Hamlet being next in line for the throne. So Claudius is now king. We got it. And basically they come to the conclusion of, well, everyone would hate that if that happened to them. So what's his problem? That sucks. That sucks. And meanwhile, Rosencrantz is doing like a Newton's cradle with a bunch of hanging pots and then goes to show Guildenstern is like, watch this and pulls back the front pot and then it just shatters against the rest. See, he's learning about Newtonian physics, but also he dumb. That's the joke that they added for the movie. What? They didn't have hanging pots that shatter on a stage? No. Finally, we get to the scene in Hamlet when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern say, Hey, Hamlet, what's up? It's us, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And a choice is made where when Hamlet's doing the, like, were you not sent for thing, he draws his rapier. But, like, he's not drawing it to threaten them. He just draws it casually and then just, like, leans it on the ground and it's just there. I don't know. That's just the kind of choice that I like in, like, a Hamlet. I like just, like, a little, like, slightly threatening, but really, like, he's not actually threatening thing. I don't know. It was just a little moment that I was just like, oh, I like that. I mentioned in a previous episode that a patented Megan thing is pointing out this fucking innocuous detail about a movie and saying that she really likes it yeah, you said but that also edward the second oh are just literally the last episode yeah it's totally a thing that you do but also then you just miss huge swaths of plot points in your notes because i'm focused on writing how important it was <laughs> That he drew his rapier, but wasn't actually threatening with it. I mean, I just want to say, I do love it. I'm just saying it's a yeah, thing. <laughs> but then he strikes down the chandelier with it. I'm like, oh, never mind. That was pretty threatening. And that's when I realize that this whole scene, the castle's been like decrepit and dark and cobwebby. And then when he strikes the chandelier, the chandelier falls, but then the chandelier's on the ceiling again and there's everything's lit and like alive and beautiful and warm tones and there's no cobwebs yeah the world was reshaping itself to how hamlet views elsinore yeah but then it like went back to how it actually is for everyone else yeah wild i like it i like it's a cool thing for a movie i mean it would be amazing if you saw a theater do it, it could not happen in a theater no i don't know though phantom of the opera does some wild shit you could do a Phantom of the Opera chandelier reset. Yeah. I feel like that would be so cool. Also, Megan, I would just like to state for everyone listening, I also, like Hamlet, know a hawk from a handsaw. It's not that difficult. A handsaw is a tool. A hawk is a bird. Well, yeah. I just want to make sure because Ham when Hamlet says it, he makes it sound like that's a reason why he's sane, even though. Well, I think he just means that if he was super out of it, he would not know the difference. That's yeah. a really low bar, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The bar is low. I just wanted to say it because that's a line that always sticks out to me in Hamlet. And it wasn't in any other adaptation we've done so far. And so it's like, that's such a weird fucking line. While we're talking about lines that are in this that aren't in others, a line I wish was in this because I'd love to see their reactions to it is Hamlet's whole, you play me like a flute line, which is cut out of so many things. But like, oh, you want to play this flute? Oh, how come you try to play me like a flute then? You damn liars. You think I'm a flute? Just saying I really like that section and i like that conversation and i feel like rosencrantz and guildenstern and this would be like jeez he's angry well that's how they are when he does leave is that they're just confused about everything i think it would be better if he did the flute bit 
but they are very confused about how that conversation went. Well, at least Guildenstern is. Meanwhile, Rosencrantz has stuck an apple with sticks and has parchment on the end and then puts it in front of a tea kettle as it's blowing steam out and he makes a little whirly gig thing because he's inventing things and that's what they added into the movie. And Guildenstern always either doesn't see it or just like grabs the apple and throws it. Like, Yeah, yeah he doesn't care. This doesn't exist now. Go away. And Guildenstern thinks that they've made some progress in figuring out what's wrong with Hamlet, to which Rosencrantz makes a statement that he made them look ridiculous, <laughs> which is what happens in the play. They learn nothing. They're like, what did we learn? Oh, he's sad. Shit, we knew that. We knew that. And then they hear the players, which interrupts their conversation. So they go to try to find the players and they see them through a window and they're doing a little stage thing in like a back alley area. Yeah, they're doing the uh, when Polonius and Hamlet watch the like player king do the like Priam and Hecuba. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And then Polonius hilariously says, this is too long, which I love. And then Rosencrantz discovers a trap door and stands on top of it to try to like test it out. And then Gildeson tries to get his attention. And then they both fall down the trap door. Because Gildenstern doesn't notice there's a trap door and just stands next to Rosencrantz. And Rosencrantz is trying so hard to hold both of their weight and just can't. Yeah. Rosencrantz not strong. And they fall down like a laundry chute, basically. And then it's funny because at the end of that scene, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are supposed to be there when the players come. And Hamlet says like, all right, I'll see you tonight at the play. Bye. And Hamlet opens the bin lid and it's just like, oh, hey, butts, I'll see you tonight. Bye. And it's funny because how you know it was them. This is the most unnecessary scene in the movie. Yeah, it really is. Now we're in the baths. Slash laundry? Yeah, I mean, it's all yeah. one place. It's in... just hot water area. Yeah. And we see Rosencrantz in a big tub, and he's made a little bath boat. And as he gets out of the tub, he's discovered the concept of water displacement because he gets out and he sees the water line go low. And then he sits in the bath and he sees the water line go up. And this is what they added to the movie. Like... It's funny. These are funny moments. But what does it have to do? What does it have to do with anything? I think it's just funny jokes, bits. They're just like, let's put some bits in. We don't want Rosencrantz to be a complete idiot. So let's have him invent a bunch of things before his time, but then not actually invent them. But then he spots the nice ass of a cute girl. No, he's a boy. Yeah, it's the player. It's one of the players. It's the player who plays Ophelia. Yeah. I mean, girls. And that's a little gay. Yay! And then everything gets super ominous, and all the players are just, like, surrounding Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in this wet house. I don't like it. Why are the players so ominous? Well, because they know that they're in a play. That's true. And then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern confront the player king, the main player, Richard Playfus. They're just like, you know what's going on. Tell us what's happening because we're lost. And he mentions, well, we're actors. We're the opposite of people. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern respond with, we've only known what we've been told. And that might not even be true, which is so true of the characters of Rosencrantz yeah. and Guildenstern. Because they are told by the king and queen, Hamlet's wonky figure something out. And then he goes to Hamlet, and Hamlet's not telling them what's going well, on. Well, and Hamlet's just like, hi, I'm majorly depressed. Denmark's a prison. You were sent for. I know that you're lying to me. blah de blah blah And it's like, who's telling the truth? And then they get sent to England with a letter that they don't know the contents of. And then that letter gets switched. Yeah. So they super don't man. know the contents. And... The player king tells Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, the old man thinks he's in love with his daughter about Hamlet, and they get confused because of pronoun usage. They think that Polonius thinks that Hamlet is in love with Hamlet's daughter, and he's just like, no, because Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like, I didn't even know he had a daughter. It's like, no, the old man thinks that Hamlet's in love with the old man's daughter. And they just go, oh, and this is just Megan 
every time I say something wrong or mix up pronouns. No, it's uh, when you say, I want my fucking hat. And I'm like, you want your fucking hat? You have yeah, a fucking hat? Yeah, cool. Great joke. Everyone laughs. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves it. They're talking about Hamlet. And they're like, so Hamlet isn't mad. He's stark raving sane because a man who talks sense to himself is no madder than someone who talks nonsense not to himself. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, then. Fair point. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like, man, that's complicated. We're still finding our feet. And Player King says, I would concentrate on not losing your heads. One more for the death note. And then we are led to a scene where the players are acting out the second half of Hamlet. Okay, this threw me. Why? Because I was just like, what? Why are the players playing Hamlet? Uh, uh, it hasn't happened yet in the play, and they're playing it. Because my brain knows that they're meta, but whenever they're like that meta, I was like, they're playing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern getting killed. <laughs> and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are just watching it. Just like, hmm, a play. Yeah. Well, they don't know what's going to happen. And they're like, ah, eight corpses all told. This is a bloody, bloody play. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like six. And Player King's like eight. And then it shows Rosencrantz and Guildenstern getting hanged. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like, what are they? And Player King says, they're dead. Whoops, marking it again. He also says that the players are great at death. They're just very much harping on death right now. And it's just like, well, you know, everyone loves death. People like to see death, so we do death. We're great at it. We're so good at death. Yeah, the audiences know what to expect, and that's all they're prepared to believe in. And, you know, Roz gets upset, and he demands that the next scene happen. He's just basically like, what's going to happen? We just need to move on. And the movie just kind of does a scene transition for him because... He asked nicely. Yeah. Well, I mean, he demanded it, Megan. He didn't ask nicely. (laughs) And we see that the to be or not to be things going on while the queen is checking in with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to be like, how's Hamlet doing? And they're like, bad, I guess. And then she's like, okay, bye. And then they start talking about death and their fear of death. And Rosencrantz is like, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of death because you're going to be dead for it. Like, there's nothing to fear about it because once you're dead, you don't experience the death. But he doesn't like it because he doesn't want to be buried in a box because the box part's scary to him. So once more on this podcast, I'm going to bring up that Rosencrantz should probably watch a nice little series on YouTube called Ask a Mortician, where he can learn about all different kinds of ways that he could be taken care of after death. Like he could be cremated. Some places they could do like water burial and he could do just a green burial where it's really just your body in a shroud in just dirt and there's no box or just like a small cardboard box that'll disintegrate and you know there's no constriction then and i wish that i did a bit during this episode where i called that megan would mention this in her notes sadly with the way we do notes and watch things i couldn't do this bit but i did call it in my notes that one of megan's notes would be about ask a mortician slash natural burials. As soon as they talked about being buried in a box, I'm like, Megan's going to have a note about that. But instead of giving Rosencrantz's other options, Guildenstern just says, I think I'm going to kill you. <laughs> also, some papers fall on them, and Rosencrantz makes a paper airplane, and while he does it, he's speaking to himself, basically, and he just says, I wouldn't think on it if I were you. You'd only get depressed. <laughs> which is how I view death. (laughs) Man, don't think about it. You're just going to make yourself upset. And he just throws the airplane and we see it go through Hamlet and Ophelia in the nunnery scene and then come back to him. And he's like, oh, cool. Awesome. They have this line where they're like, there must be a moment when you first think about death. Or maybe we know about it a bit before we even have a word for it. And I think that's, yeah, I wonder about that. When was the first time I knew about death? It was probably from media somewhere. Hey, Megan. What? This bit is incredibly pretentious. Oh, it super is. <laughs> but like, just as a concept, I like thinking about memory yeah. and death. 
I just like pointing out when you like say like, I really like this bit. And I'm like, this is one of the more pretentious bits in the movie. So honestly, I'm not sure if I love the fact that it's in this film specifically, but I just like the concept of that question. Yeah. Like, I want to think about it. When's the first time you learned about death? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. know. Probably goldfish. I have no idea. I assume because I grew up watching things that were a bit too old for me. Yeah. Because I have an older brother. So it was probably from watching something. I think it might have been Daria. But I don't think I was ever like, oh my God, what? Death is real? So like, do we have an idea of the notion before we have a word for it? Or is my adult brain just assuming that I was smart as a baby? No, you definitely have a notion before you have the acknowledgement. I would think so. You definitely have a feeling before your higher brain function deals with it just because it is a natural part of life. Yeah. And like you have pets that die or you have relatives that die or you see death on screen in media, but you don't process it. And then later on you process it. So Rosencrantz makes a more complex airplane and shows it to Guildenstern who just crushes it. And throws it on the ground, and then Rosencrantz picks it up and tries to throw it anyway, and it falls to the ground. And this is what they added to the movie. (laughs) And this is where I question, am I Rosencrantz and Megan is Guildenstern, or is Megan Rosencrantz and I'm Guildenstern? They're interchangeable, as are we. Well, I meant in this (laughs) film, because Rosencrantz is hey, check this out, this cool thing. And Gillenstern's like, no. We both are is the thing. Like Rosencrantz and Gillenstern, we are just interchangeable. That is true because- Our voices just sound a bit different. Yeah, no, that's fair because there are points where you're like, I'm going to do something silly. And I'm like, we have to keep moving. And there are points where Marcus is like, I'm going to do a whole bit about the acting corner and Megan hating it. And I'm going to drive it into the ground. (laughs) And Megan gets tired of that too. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern walk into the Murder of Gonzaga rehearsal and their footsteps are super loud. They just walk in. The Player King like preemptively shushes them like, it's a rehearsal, don't say anything. And then they think that it's because they're walking loud and so then they start walking quietly. It's just a funny joke. But then Hamlet and Ophelia interrupt the rehearsal doing the nunnery but they just like burst through the stage doors and it's upsetting as usual a bit before they interrupt man they're doing a dumb show which means they're moving and gesturing without any dialogue and i like the description of a dumb show because rosencrantz and gillenstern question it and the player explains a dumb show makes what comes before and after more comprehensible yeah which is what I love. I mean, that's my thing. If a dumb show doesn't do that, you don't need a dumb show. Correct. And the actor who plays girls, Ophelia, whoever they're playing, tries to comfort Ophelia when Hamlet is all mean, but it doesn't really work out. And Ophelia just doesn't want to be part of this at all and leaves. What I don't like is they they skip Ophelia's lines at the end of this nunnery scene. I'm just like, I'm just sad that they didn't have Ophelia say her lines because I thought that that was going to happen whereas like Ophelia actually says her lines to the players players. yeah but no and we find out that the bad end unhappily the good unluckily and that's what tragedy means and I also like that this is a very poignant scene about what things mean in theater (laughs) and the player also says when people die is when the script says so yes I count that and so then what happens, Megan? So the players watch some puppet versions of the players do a puppet play of the murder of Gonzago, and then it cuts to the players playing the play The Murder of Gonzago and real people watching it, and then the king freaks out because the murder of Gonzago. Oh, so you're saying that the puppet show of the murder of Gonzago became the murder of Gonzago, which is now the murder of Gonzago scene in Hamlet? Got it. Unconfusing. And everyone runs out and Gross. Rosencrantz is like, It wasn't that bad. It was very funny. Very funny. And then we get another scene with Rosencrantz and Gillenstern just trying to figure things out. And at this point, the play is moving much, much faster. And they're like, there's something that they're not telling us. 
which is everything that's happening in yeah, the play. Yeah, honestly, everything, and I feel so bad for them. Yeah, and then we get Hamlet is summoned to his mother, seen really fast, and then Claudius going to send Hamlet to England, and then there with Polonius behind the tapestry and are kind of responsible for his death because Guildenstern sneaks up on Polonius just to hear what's going on behind the curtain too, and then Rosencrantz sneaks up behind Guildenstern, and then Rosencrantz makes Guildenstern turn around, and then Guildenstern makes Polonius turn around, and then Polonius screams, which forces Hamlet to stab the curtain, so they're responsible for that, and then everything is happening all at once, and then everything goes dark. I mean, I think that makes more sense than Polonius just making a random sound behind a curtain. When <laughs> That's he's... true. So the next scene, because we know now, Hamlet's going to England, and so I see Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sitting on a boat, and I go, oh no, they're going to die. And Rosencrantz says, we're on a boat. And Guildenstern says, I know. <laughs> it's funny, because in theater... You can't usually show a boat. The characters have to be like, in some way, I'll tell you, this is a boat. But in the film, it's really obvious they're on a boat. Yes. And Guildenstern says, I think I'll spend the rest of my life on boats. And yeah, he almost will because he's going to die real soon. And you know what? I'm going to count that in death because he says the rest of his life. And it's because he's going to die. And then Rosencrantz falls down a hole, and then Guildenstern gets worried that he died, but he's like, no, I'm okay. Rosencrantz keeps repeating Guildenstern, because that's just the relationship they have, but Guildenstern's sick of it, and is like, stop doing that. And Rosencrantz says, I can't think of anything original, I'm only good in support. And my heart got sad, because he is true, and I know that feeling. And also... He doesn't have lines, and he's, he's a supporting character, if... You can give him that much. He's a cameo. Megan, this is exactly the same as me getting sad about toys like Toy Story. Like in real life, I know that toys do not come alive. (laughs) And go, he hates me. Yes, but there is a stupid human part of my brain that humanizes these things. Well, that's why I can't ever write a play because it would have to be a completely ensemble production. That's exactly what I'm feeling. Like, I feel really bad for these two minor characters, even though they're not real. Like, I think that this movie does a really good job of making you feel bad that they are so inconsequential to the plot of Hamlet. So they open a letter that Claudius gave them and find out that once they get to England, the king will kill Hamlet immediately. And first off, they question this because really, in all honesty, Shakespeare, what is actually their plan when they arrive to England? They go to the king and the king says, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? Oh, we're from Denmark. Here's a letter is their plan. And like, that's what Shakespeare expected them to do, which is wild. (laughs) And I'm glad that they at least questioned that bit. Because I'm like, yeah, that part doesn't make any sense. But then it turns out that Hamlet heard them reading that letter and that he knows what the plan is. Well, they're also sad because they're like, Hamlet's our friend. But granted, they're like, he's only our friend because people told us that he's our friend. We don't actually know that he's our friend. Hamlet also leaves before they say this. So Hamlet just thinks that they're in on it. Yeah. And then they go to try to check in on Hamlet. And then Hamlet is me when my parents try to come in at night and I'm playing Game Boy, in which I immediately go, I'm really asleep. Don't look at my Game Boy light underneath my blanket. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are like, oh, good. The baby's asleep. Let's go to bed with our light still on because Rosencrantz is going to cover his eyes with the eye thing and then go to blow out the candle and miss it. But he doesn't know because his eyes are covered. And then he lays down and they leave the candle on and the letter right in front of the candle where anyone could go and take it. Well, Megan, he invents an eye mask and earplugs. And that's what's different in the movie. Oh no, pirates are here. Yeah, they're attacking. Whoa. The pirates are the players. Why yeah. are the pirates the players? Megan. I don't like this. Megan. There's fights and there's pirates and it's like, ah, pirates, mm, pirates, fights, fights, fights. And Rosencrantz is sleeping through it because he has this beautiful invention of earplugs and eye masks. 
And then he wakes up to the mast of the ship that's like a little mermaid, and he like goes to kiss her, and then it pulls back, and he sees Hamlet on the pirate ship. And he's like, oh, hi, my friend Hamlet. And Hamlet leaves. And Megan, the players are the pirates because it's all meta theater. I know, I know. But you don't logically. like this part? No, so I logically know that's the reason, but I don't like it because it makes... <laughs> me feel like nothing's real and i know that's literally the point yes <laughs> but i like reality and i care about these friends and now i don't know what's actually happening because if it's meta are they actually dying no because they're characters yes I mean, you can't kill a character but also i feel sad for them yes so that's they're the, real to me so the movie's working yes and i hate it okay so now they're in the aftermath of the battle. And they give the letter to the player king, who's like, I'm the king of England now. And they're like, ah, yes, the king of England. Here's a letter. And the letter says, kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Because that's what happens. Uh, why is the player king a pirate and the player king and the king of England? Well, Megan, it's a tragic comedy with connections to theater of the absurd. And I... Don't know why you're not getting it at this point. It's all amorphous. It's not meant to be taken literally. No, and and, no. and, the, and, the, and Megan, maybe, hear me out, maybe this would work better for you if it was on a stage and the suspension of disbelief was less because you are aware that it's a stage and that there are actors on a stage and not people in a location in a movie. Honestly, I do think that I'd like this more as a stage production. That's the thing, yeah. Megan. That's, that's the secret. That's what this is. But like they made it a movie so more people would see it. Yes. It, Which I'm also always complaining about plays not being able to be broadly seen. So at the revelation that they're going to die because the King of England's like, this letter says I should kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Guildenstern gets mad at the player because he's like, you can't do this. You can't. He's Megan. And he's like, this isn't how things are supposed to go. You say that you're so good at dying. Well, you're not because you've never experienced it because you can only die once and nobody applauds after somebody dies. And he takes a knife and he stabs the player king and the player king falls down into the depths of the ship. And Guildenstern's like, if there are no explanations for us, then let there be none for him. Like, he's going to get a death out of freaking nowhere. And I have no sympathy because they were about to do it to us. And then it turns out that it was a stage knife, one of the ones that push in when you stab someone into the inside of the knife. And, and he's not dead. And everyone applauds. Like, the players are like, yay! Yay, good death, good job. And the player king gives such a mean line of being like, see, everybody loves it. We got death for kings and princes and nobodies. Because you two are no one. Nobodies. And then we get a montage of people dying in Hamlet. You see Ophelia drown. You see Gertrude drink from the cup. You see Hamlet get nicked by the poison blade. You see Laertes get stabbed. And you see Claudius get stabbed. And everyone dies exactly how they were supposed to die. And we cut to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern about to be hanged. Because that's how they're supposed to die. And Roz is at least a little bit relieved because now they know what they're supposed to do. It just sucks. Yeah, man. They didn't do anything wrong. And that's when we get the line that I said at the beginning. There must have been a moment where we could have just said, no, guess we missed it. Oh, well. And then we cut to the palace again, where the messenger comes in and he says the line about how Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Mark it on your thing, Megan. And then the players pack up their bags and get ready for the next round of slaughter for an audience's enjoyment. Well, Megan, of course, because Rosencrantz and Guildenstern always have to die. And so they need to get the play started again because it's a never-ending cycle. 
It's just like the book with Piggy and Elephant called This is a Book, in which it's a children's book about two characters who realize that they're in a book, and then they make the person reading the book say silly things until they realize that the book inevitably has to come to an end. And then they get terrified because obviously what happens to them when the book is done? Nothing. They're non-existent after the book ends. And so the book ends with them pleading to the reader of the book to read the book again. That sounds terrible. It's great, man. That sounds like a terrible thing to put your child through. I love it. Absolutely. And that's it. That's the film. We did it. Okay. So let's take a moment because this is a bit different from other adaptations that we've watched because most adaptations still follow the main characters. Yeah. And this is not. So the story's still happening, but we're seeing it from a different point of view. So I think we should talk about how effective we think that is. As I found out through talking about it, I think I would prefer this more as a play. It doesn't mean the movie itself is a bad movie, but I think that the adaptation aspect of it and the meaning it has is better suited for the stage. And I think it makes more sense or could have more of an impact on the stage. I have a new segment for the podcast. Oh. It's a secret segment that I have not told you about. Hey. It's called, What Did Roger Ebert Say About This <gasps> Film? Ooh. Roger Ebert is one of the most famous film critics of all time. He was a part of At the Movies with Ebert and Roper and Siskel and Ebert, which is a long-standing film criticism show. He loved movies and he went to see them a lot. And this is what he had to say about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I think the problem is that this material was never meant to be a film and can hardly work as a film. The theatrical experience of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern was an intellectual tennis game between playwright and audience with Shakespeare's original text as the net. There was an audacity and freedom to the way Stoppard's characters lurked in the wings of Shakespeare's most perplexing tragedy, missing the point and inflating their own importance. There is no offstage in the movies. The camera is a literal instrument that photographs precisely what is placed before it and has trained us to believe that what we are looking at is what we should be looking at. I agree. Good job. So I think that that's the main crux of why this does not work as an adaptation. It is because of the fact that it is a movie, and it just inherently can't be a movie because you're talking about... What happens on the sidelines when there's no sidelines in movies. Yes. There's no, well, looking at the secondary acting, I can see this, because unless you film a stage, which is not the same thing as making a movie, there's no secondary acting that you really see. It is an impossible thing to adapt. Just like the original Watchmen comic is impossible to adapt to a movie, it was so intrinsically tied to the medium it was first released in that it cannot exist outside of that because it is too much in conversation with that medium. The play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is intrinsically about offstage, and you can't show that on film. So it doesn't work. Like, the parts that work are the interesting conversations and, like, the cool philosophical points that come up. The concept of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is a very interesting intellectual adaptation. The film isn't the same. I'd rather watch a filmed stage version. Yeah. Which is kind of what I thought this was going to be. And then it was like, oh, they're like traveling. Yeah, the second that it was like, and they're on horses. I was like, oh, this is not. So we know what Roger Ebert said, but here's what I think William Shakespeare would say if he saw this film. Though this be madness, yet there is method in it. I think he'd say that more for the stage production and he'd be a little bit more like, ah, moving pictures if he saw the film. So, Megan, MVP. MVP's gotta be Richard Dreyfus, even though he drove me insane. I agree. Richard Dreyfus is the most valuable player. He rules. He just has such palpable energy, and I think he's working in the parts of the adaptation that work. 
which is the philosophicalness of it and not the in-between stuff. So I also agree. I think Richard Dreyfus is MVP. All right, Megan, what would you rate Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? I would rate Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead six Rosencrantz inventions out of 11 death mentions. Oh. Marquez, what would you rate Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? I would rate Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead eight deaths out of an infinite amount of head flips on a coin. Ooh. Which is low because I actually, I mean, it doesn't work as an adaptation. Yeah, I'm giving you like six out of 11 because like I know the stage version does. No, I'm, 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 no, I'm, you're, you're fair. I'm basing it on a, the actual movie. I think the performances are fine. Yeah, the performances are good. It's Costumes just, look great. It just doesn't work. And with that, we end our episode for this week. If you liked it, please follow us on all social media at AvantBardPod. And if you really liked it, make sure to support the show at patreon.com slash avantbardpod. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod.